So in October of 2018, our beloved Stan passed away. And at that moment of hopelessness, he planted hope. In the moments of hopelessness, deep within the places of pain and the places of suffering and even trauma, deep within is something else that he planted, and that is hope. It may be news to Carol and to this congregation of a baby named the resurrection and the life. That's to be born in October and redeeming October essentially for Carol, which is a hard month for her. But God knew when Stan died. For at the moment of her despair, deep down in all the muck and the mire and under the pain and the suffering, there was a jewel of hope and of praise. That God knew was there. And we just need to get to it. Michelle is going through a season of suffering in her hand. And other surgeries that she's planning on having. And even within the suffering that she's experiencing right now. Deep within. There is a jewel. A precious. A precious stone of hope. That's within there. And once we reach it. And it becomes visible to us. It's not visible to you right now. But it will become visible. And we'll rejoice. Just like Carol is rejoicing now over a baby being born in October. We just need to get to it. And we need to allow Adonai to take us through that process. Uh, we happen to be right now at a very special time on the Jewish calendar. Uh, some of you may be like, I don't know. I look at the Torah and I see all the Moedim in the Torah and I don't see anything. So what special time on the calendar are you referring to? Well, I'll tell you. So um, last week was the 17th day of uh, the fourth month, which is called Tammuz, the 17th day of, of, of the fourth month. And in one week, it'll be the ninth of Av, which is Tisha B'Av. And during this time, it's called the three weeks uh, Judaism calls it the time between the distresses that comes from Lamentations 1-3. All those who pursued her, Judah, have overtaken her between the distresses. Uh, the rabbis say, what are the two distresses? It's the 17th of Tammuz, which is last week, and then the 9th of Av, which is next week. So what happened last week? A couple of tragedies happened to the Jewish people last week. Uh, back in Babylonian exile times, the sacrifice had to come to an end. It was forced to come to an end. Even in Roman um, times, uh, they this is when the Roman army breached the walls of Jerusalem. And then next week on the 9th of Av, both temples, the first temple and the second temple, were destroyed on the exact same day. And that's the ninth of Av. So these three weeks is actually a time of, of fast. Those are, those are two fast days on the Jewish calendar. And this whole time of three weeks is more of a time of really 
um, mourning and being retrospective about the destruction of the temples and the loss that happened with that. Because the destruction of the temples is very deep in the core of Judaism these days. I mean, those, were, those marks the times that God judged Israel. And the fact that Jews are all around the world, including in America, it's because of the destruction of the temple. And it's just every, they had to scatter when the Romans came in and destroyed it. So we're still in an exile, uh, even here in America. It's still part of the Roman exile. And so that's very deep in the heart of Judaism um, that the temple was destroyed and, and, and Israel ultimately is still in exile and therefore in a time of judgment. And um, so this is a time of being introspective about that and thinking about it and contemplating it. Uh, so you'd be like, well, what, what do we care about that? Uh, is it even biblical? Well, it is biblical, and I'll show you why. So first of all, the, uh, the fast of the fourth, fourth month on uh, July 6th, which this, this year turned out to be on July 16th. Um, like I said, that's the breaching of the walls of Jerusalem. This one is the destruction of the temple. And there is a couple of other fasts, and I'll show you where it is biblical. In Zechariah, he kind of turns it around. And this is also very important to understand in this time of mourning, in this time of thinking about the tragedy that Israel experienced with uh, the Babylonian exile and then the Roman exile. Uh, Zechariah then says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, that is that. So he mentions it. He mentions it. Yes, it's biblical. He mentions it. It's not a Torah law to fast on that day, but it was instituted, and then the prophet mentions it later. So the fast of the fourth month is the is 17th of Tammuz. The fast of the fifth month, that's that one. So this, this time, this three-week time, is mentioned in the Bible. So now I'll read the whole thing. The fast of the fourth month, the first one. The fast of the fifth month. That's next week. The fast of the seventh month, that is when uh, a, a governor of Judah named Gedaliah was killed. It is chronicled in the book of Jeremiah. You can see it there. And the fast of the tenth month, that's when Nebuchadnezzar started his siege. It's chronicled and it, it shows that it's in the tenth month in the book of Ezekiel. So he's saying the fast of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth month, those fasts, listen, shall become occasions for joy and gladness. Happy festivals, festivals, festivals for the house of Judah. So if we don't commemorate in our lives these fast days, well, there might be a time that you're going to because God said he's going to turn these days actually into festivals, which kind of puts like a, a spin on like, like, wait a minute, you're not supposed to add or subtract to the Torah, and then why are they adding additional holidays or fast days that it's not mentioned in the books of Moses? Well, God says these are going to become, these are going to become festival days. And this obviously speaks about the time of when Messiah comes. It's, it's a messianic prophecy that these days of mourning that the, that the body of Messiah really pay no attention to, and Judaism to pay a lot of attention to it, but these days are going to become days of celebration. So even in the destructions that happened and the devastation that happened, God planted a promise. This is, I mean, these events were extremely tragic for Israel. And the, the survivors, the one went into exile, they experienced great, great, they witnessed great, great suffering. But amidst the suffering, 
God planted a promise. He planted hope in the hopelessness. And he committed to the repair in the despair. Kathy gives the thumbs up for the rhyme. A plus for the rhyme. He plans the repair in the despair. And we can take this, like, for some of us, we may be like, well, destruction of the temple is part of history, you know. I'm the temple of God. Well, that's true. So in that spirit of that we're the temple of God, because that's what 1 Corinthians says, we can contemplate this whole season in the devastation and the destructions that we've felt in, in our lives. See, the purpose of these three weeks is to contemplate and to recognize and to remember the pain that we felt. Now, I'm sorry to not give everybody all goosebumps, because I know the, the, the goosebumps are really good in churches. But part of, the, the part of our life is to also recognize the, the difficulties that we go through and the, the, sometimes the devastation and the tragedies and sometimes even the traumatic experiences that we go through and not just shove it under the rug and not turn promises, God's promises, into platitudes that, are, that sound sort of empty, but we kind of just go there. And this is a season to just remember some of the struggles we have, but also to remember the promise that was planted in the pain. Because he did that. And just like in the pain of Carol losing her husband in an October, now, obviously something was implanted in her daughter-in-law, but something else was implanted, and that is the, the repair of this tragic month for Carol. And that's how he works. So we're in a season where we acknowledge some of the suffering that we've had in our families, uh, whatever, in our marriages, or loss of marriage, and we acknowledge it. We don't shove it under the rug. We don't say we're doing good when we're not doing good. But we also acknowledge that he saw this from the beginning. And deep within the pain, there's a jewel. There's gold here in them thar hills. And God's going to extract this. It's like a mining expedition that God has to do in the hardness of our being, in the hardness of our heart, to get to this thing. But he will. And we remember both at this time. So I'm going to bring you to a verse that's not really preached on too much. Um, and so in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul brings forth a grave egregious sin that is happening within the congregation. And this one dude apparently was having not-so-holy relations with his mom-in-law, like his father's wife. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 5. And the people in his father's wife, his father's wife is what it says. And so his mother-in-law, essentially. He was having relations. And Paul essentially says, you, why are you even allowing this in your congregation? Like, it's a lesson for, like, when things need to be removed from the congregation. And it's very, very, you know, intricate or what's the, what's the word to say that 
it's very hard when something or someone, the situation actually needs to be removed. It's, you know, if things got to be at a real certain level. Because sinners are always allowed in the church, in the congregation. You want people that are struggling. And we're all sinners. And we're all struggling. And we want people to, to come here and be, and be healed. But what we're seeing in 1 Corinthians 5 is that this person was coming in haughtily, essentially, unrepentant. Yeah, this is my girlfriend. Okay, she's my mother-in-law, but she's also my girlfriend. Sharing her with my dad. And that was very, very evil. Hey, does this preacher what? I guess not. So anyway, Paul said, well, like, why are, you, why are you entertaining this? Like, this has got to go. This has got to go. So then he says this one verse, I've decided to turn such a person over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, this verse is very misunderstood because people read this and they kind of think that Paul is saying, I'm going to let Satan kill him so he'll die and go to heaven. That's what some people feel this means, that he turns it over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That means Satan's going to kill him, so his spirit might be saved on the day of the Lord, so he'll go to heaven. That's not what it means, because there's a misunderstanding of the employment, God's employment of Satan, of, of Satan in our lives. So when we sin, even as believers, because this person was a believer, and we know this because in these verses, Paul actually says he's doing things that even unbelievers don't do. So he's clearly a believer. So, so much for once saved, always saved, but that's like a whole nother topic. So here's this, here's this one guy and he's doing this thing. And when we sin, what happens in the spirit, this is really important to know. Satan goes up to God and we see this in the book of Job and, and we see him go up to God and he asks permission. Even Yeshua said to Peter, Satan is asking permission to sift you. So he goes up to God, and he says, aha, your boy there, look what he's doing. I have a legal right to mess with this person. God at this point has two choices. One, to give him grace and say, he is covered under my grace. He's covered under the blood of the lamb. Out of here, Satan. Or two, God will say, even to a believer, even about a believer in Yeshua, okay, Satan, he is sinning. I'm going to let you destroy his flesh. His flesh, meaning the part of him that's not aligned with God. I've said this before here, and I've only said it before. It's because it was said by Rabbi Peter before. That Satan, in his, in his, in his base state, is a serpent. And he eats the dust. What are we made of? Dust. So that's kind of his job, just to kind of eat our flesh, eat the things that are not of God until what's left is of him. So what Paul is saying by the handing him over to Satan is saying Satan now can do what he is essentially, in a way, I know this goes up your theology sideways, designed to do, which is to mess with us, to destroy us until we repent. And get back in line with God. Satan's desire is to kill us. But God's desire is for the, our, our flesh, our 
our, the parts of us that are not aligned with him to be killed so we can, the rest of us can be holy. That's God's desire. That's why he allows Satan to mess with us. But the, the, he allows Satan to mess with us because we have sinned. And in this case, it is a perpetual sin. It's not like I messed up, oops, and that's it. This is somebody who apparently was doing it over and over again and was unrepentant about it. And God said, okay, Satan, you're allowed to go this far and no farther. And that's what he does. He will set the boundary for Satan. Okay, you can destroy my son's flesh, but only go this far. And we see that in Job. So his spirit may be saved, which essentially means they let him come back to his relationship with God and, and become saved. So in the day, of, uh, the day of the judgment, he will be saved. So that is what this means. So why am I bringing this forth? I think it's very important on a day that we commemorate the destruction of the temple, that we, when we bring it to something that's more personal, because Paul does say that we are the temple of God. And the temple of God does go through times of destruction. It goes through trial, like, we've, like we like we have seen here and heard about and we also go through times of like when we are sinful and we're sinning and then we have to come under this this type of judgment and the temple kind of gets destroyed right so this is why it's important to talk about the destruction of the flesh in this time when we commemorate the destruction of the temple so your the tragedy that you may have experienced in your life may not have been a, like, a, like a deep, devastating type of experience. Like, I've been thinking about my life, and to be honest with you, I haven't really dealt with much tragedy. Baruch Hashem. Thank you, Father. Like, I haven't dealt with, with much death, right? I, my father passed away of blessed memory, and that was hard, of course. My grandparents, of course, passed away. Uh, we've lost several cats, and that was, of course, had its challenge. And sure, we've had our difficult times, but I thank you, God, I've never experienced tragedy. Like the children of Israel experienced during these, during these sieges of, of, from Rome or from Babylon. But I've certainly experienced in my life depression in the past, anxiety, which he delivered me from, and depression he completely delivered me from. I've experienced that. I've experienced addictive behaviors that he's, that he's delivered me from. And these things are also things that have a jewel within them if you allow God to go through the process of getting to it. Now, this is very, very challenging. But I find in my life, with the sins that I've dealt with and the struggles that I've dealt with inside, that God, if I'm humble and I really hate it, God will chip away at it. Little by little. Now, I've experienced deliverance in my life where one and one moment something was gone. But that often has come from a season of chipping away at it. And I'm trying to find a little bit of Bible verse to put to it, to put a little biblical and word of God meat to what I'm saying. But this is my own experience, that I will be struggling with something. Let's say it was the depression. And I would bring it before God, but I would still be depressed and be depressed and be depressed. And all of a sudden, it feels like nothing's happening, but there is something happening. And all of it, he's chipping away at this thing. He's chipping away. Little by little, this thing is getting removed, little by little. 
See, we, we know when it's like a big thing, when he takes the mountain and he moves it. We know, we see it, it's palpable and it's real and we, we, we understand that it's visible. But we don't always see the little by little what he's doing in our hearts and turning that heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Because those are his promises, that he turns our mourning into dancing. That he removes the, the sackcloth and he clothes us with joy. But that happens over time. And that's something else that I appreciate about this time uh, between the distresses, the three weeks. That it's not a moment, a moment that we're commemorating. It's actually a season. And these things happen over a season. Remember, the beginning of the, these three weeks is the breaching of the walls. And then at the end of the three weeks is the destruction of the temple. And that's the way it is in our lives when God is working on eliminating what's not of him in us. There's a breach until it gets destroyed. And I have found that as he, as, he, as he picks at it and he picks at it and he picks at it, it's like a mining expedition, I'm telling you. Like he's just going down, he's digging, and he digs and he digs, and a little rock gets removed, and a little rock gets removed, and a little stone gets removed, and all of a sudden it crumbles. All of a sudden it crumbles. And something in me that I did not know was there, but God knew was there, and that's why he was picking at this thing, starts to get exposed and I'm like, glory to God, where did this come from? And this is the process. And this is how we take the lesson of the three weeks and we, and we, we bring it to our, our personal temples and what God is doing. So I was looking for some verses about this mining expedition. And I found some great verses in the book of Job. Because in the topic of like when God either allows Satan to do something in our life or the struggles that we have and God actually implanting a jewel within it there that needs to get extracted in God's time. There's this amazing verses in Job, and this is a long one, but I'll, I'll read it. It's just this page. Its rocks are the source of sapphires. I, 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 I love that. I love that. You know, in Jewish tradition, the first uh, tablets were actually of sapphire because it, it, it came from like the stones that are in, in heaven. That's the Jewish tradition around that. The stones, its rocks are the source of sapphires. Like God puts truth into nature. And it is amazing that precious stones are deep within mountains. And you got to dig for them. And you got to excavate for them. Its rocks are the source of sapphires. This is in spirit what I want to say over the hardness of your hearts and the hardness of your lives and the struggles that you're going through today. There are sapphires in those rocks. There are sapphires in those rocks. If there weren't sapphires, Satan wouldn't be spending so much time pounding at it. It wouldn't be worthwhile. But there are sapphires in the stones, in the rocks. And its dust contains gold. We are made from the dust. But the dust contains gold. No, and this is, no bird of prey knows the path, nor is the falcon's eye caught sight of it. The proud animals have not trodden over it, nor has the lion passed over it. What is this saying? All the animals that, that pass over this path, that, that pass over these, this, the rocks and the dust, they don't know what's under it. They don't know. 
The falcon, way up there. They don't see it. The proud animals, the proud animals. You know who the proud animals are? Those are the ones that are judging you and your experience. Those are the ones that are looking at your situation and the, all your struggles and saying, why isn't this person healed already? They're the ones looking at your situation and saying, you experienced that years ago. Why are you still crying about it? These are the ones judging your life without understanding what you went through. They don't see the jewel underneath the pain, underneath the rocks. They don't see it. That's the realm of our father. He sees it. I love this. I love in, I don't know if I have it next. Yeah. Immediately Yeshua, aware in his spirit that they were thinking that way within them. Let me paraphrase this. Jesus reads minds. And what does it mean that Jesus reads minds? It means that he knows the thoughts and the intents and people don't. And people will look at your lives and wish you were over here and think you need to be over here. But you really, they see you were over here. But they don't know that God is chipping away and there is a jewel in there. Those are the birds of prey that know the pet, nor is the falcon I caught sight of it. They don't see the sapphire in the rock. They don't see it. They just judge. The proud animals have not trodden it, nor has the lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint. He overturns mountains at the base. This is God. He carves out channels through the rocks, and his eye sees anything precious. He dams up the steam, st streams from flowing and brings light to what is hidden. Which means that they can look, you look at a stream and we, all we see is a stream. God knows what's under there. God knows what's under there. So he says, you go forth no more. And the, the, and the sea stops and the stream stops. Like, look at that. And that's what he does in our lives. So in this time between the distresses, when we recognize the, the, the breaching of the walls, when the pain starts and the destruction of the temple, that there is a jewel within there. That God is looking to extract. One of my favorite parables is uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Matthew 13. Kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. Which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it he goes and sells everything that he has and buys that field. It's another very misunderstood parable. Because most people will think that the man that found the treasure and hid it and sold everything to buy the field is us. As if like when we discover the kingdom of God, we will sell everything, we'll leave everything behind and we'll, we'll for, the, for the sake of the kingdom. And you know what? Maybe that is true. But I want to twist this a little bit and tell you there's another, per there's another way of looking at this thing. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. You are the field. You are the field. You're not the guy. You are the field. Which a man found and hid again. So if you are the field, what is the treasure in the field? It's that godliness in you. It's that divine nature in you. It's what God wants to extract out of you. It's what God wants to change the world through you with that's in there. And the man who found it is Yeshua. And he 
he sees it. He says, oh, look at that. I'm going to put it right there. And for the joy over it, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He goes and sells everything he has. That means he gave his life. You get it? And buys that field. This means, is that it? That's it. So this means when he purchased you the field, he purchased every part of the field. He purchased the hills. He purchased the mountains. He purchased the valleys. He purchased the weeds. He purchased the sand. He purchased the infertile soil. He purchased the fertile soil. He purchased the, he purchased the tree that's blooming and bearing fruit. He purchased the dead tree. He purchased the whole field. The whole field. And now he has the process of digging for that treasure, of extracting that treasure. Because he saw the field and said, this is beautiful. I'm going to give my life for this field. And all the falcons and all the lions and all the animals from that other verse, like, what? This is not worth anything. This isn't worth anything. It's a desolate field. And Yeshua says, no, no, there's a treasure in there. I don't care if you don't see it. I don't care if you're walking all over it and you just, you're just walking right by it. I see a treasure in that field and I'm going to give my life, which means sell, sell everything, to purchase the field. And now that he's purchased the field, he gets to extract that. And that's the painful journey with him that he starts to extract. And that process is the destructions of our temple. It's the breaking of the walls. It's the tragedies and even the sins that we deal with. But God is faithful to bring forth the jewel that he saw. So if you're going through that, just hang in there. Hang in there. He, see, he saw something there. If he didn't see it, he wouldn't have bought it. But there's something there that was worth his entire life, worth giving his life for. And the excavation process is the pain that we commemorate in these three weeks. The destruction of the temple. The breaking of the walls. But within that, remember, when God called forth that despair that you're going through, he also called forth the repair. Remember that. It's there. It's there. The family situation you're going through that is entirely hopeless, there's a jewel there. It was in the field when he bought it. You didn't know it, but it was there. Because he sees that field across all time. And he knew when that was going to happen. And he sees a jewel there. And it's going to take some time maybe. But be humble. Commit yourself to the ways of the Lord. And he will extract that. He'll pick at it. And he'll pick at it. And he'll pick at it. And he'll pick at it. But he will eventually extract it.
experienced it in my own life. Pick, 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 and the mountain gets removed. And then there's another mountain. Pick, 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 pick. So during these three weeks, may we just take a little moment and just be introspective. Let's mourn the destructions of, of the temples, uh, the first and second, and the devastation that Israel experienced. But when we look at us as the temple, let's just take those moments and realize the struggles that we go through comes also with a promise. Just like those incidents that happened with the destruction of the temple, the prophet Zechariah said those days are going to be days of rejoicing. They're going to become days of rejoicing. That's God's economy. We go through struggle, but there's a promise of rejoicing in that struggle. And that's what we remember in this time. Let's do that. In Yeshua's name, amen.